All right. So my guest today, Lauren, is uh, a CEO founder of a business consulting firm, uh, Golden Key Partnership. And she's kind of lovingly known as what she calls the biz doctor, um, because she helps companies kind of figure out, diagnose their root cause issues, their operational challenges, um, and how to ultimately be successful and to grow and, and, and all those types of things. So she brings a very like analytical, thoughtful, rational approach to trying to understand problems and work through them. That made it a really interesting conversation to talk about the thing that she felt really strongly and passionately about, which was our, our school system, uh, specifically the idea of like fixing our schools to allow kids to be creative and entrepreneurial. Now I'll say like I, I've talked to people on the show before about our school systems. It's certainly not a new topic. There's a lot of strong views about this. There's been a strong sensation for a while that something needs to change. So when I have conversations like this, um, what I find most interesting is a, trying to understand why the individual feels so strongly about this topic, but B, like given that there's been such um, focus and energy and attention and thinking around it, wh why can't we solve it? <laughs> why is it still an issue? Like, let's do what she tries to do, what Lauren tries to do with their businesses and get to the root of it. So that's what we did. We kind of worked through it in that way and trying to understand it and explore it. Um, and it was interesting because as we progressed through the conversation, it became apparent that part of Lauren's belief is centered around this idea of like humans getting back to their nature. Um, she thinks we rely too much on technology. Maybe we're focused too much on structure and rules and compliance that we've lost what actually makes us human. She even said at one point during the show that like maybe our generation, kind of 80s kids, was really special and unique. Maybe we got it just right. We were that sweet spot of kind of a good mix of having some technology, but still kind of being human, being kids and going out and getting dirty and drinking from the hose and that type of mentality. Um, and, and maybe that's what we need to get back to. So obviously we explored that and asked questions like, what, what actually is our human nature? <laughs> what, what is our, our natural state if there is some that we're meant to be? Um, but further, like maybe we're just biased. Maybe we just learned some things as we grew up and we assumed they were normal or natural. Um, and now we assume any de deviation from that is, an, is a problem. When in reality, progression is a good thing. We don't need to get back to this fixed nature from however many years ago. So just an interesting example of how you start with a strongly held belief about schools and how we educate our children. And it, it, when you dig philosophically, you uncover all these other pieces to it, which I think gives us a ton of learning. Um, but with that, let's get to the episode with Lauren um, and find out why she feels so strongly about this topic. Oh, such a juicy question. So for <laughs> me, something that I am will probably forever be on my soapbox about is that our school systems mm. do not support entrepreneurs. Like it's mm. essentially, we're just creating good employees mm. and it's a system that I believe is broken and I'm doing a detriment to most of society because it's creating this thought process pattern that doesn't actually celebrate what we're good at, but makes mm. us pretty mediocre at everything. Ooh, that's a good one. So that's going to be a tough one for me because um, in this show, I, I love to kind of play all sides and question it and play contrarian uh -huh. and kind of explore it. I agree with a lot of that in many ways, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to go. With okay. it. Let me ask firstly, um, why, why so passionate about that? Like, why is that? I mean, there's lots of issues in the world. There's lots of problems. That one's, there's some obvious reasons for that, but what got you to believe like that's something that just really riles me up that really gets me going that I think is so critical for us to be trying to fix. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can talk about my, my second big thing, which is the mental health of entrepreneurs. That's the other thing that I'm so passionate about. Probably but, connected. 
Very connected. So this one, it really shows up a lot in my consulting because I, I come in, I wear that fractional COO hat. Sometimes I do a lot of consulting with service-based entrepreneurs to help them get out from underneath their business. And the uphill battle that I have to fight with them, well, not fight, but the challenge mm -hmm. is that they've been told their entire life that they should be good at everything. Mm -hmm. So in school, like if you excel at chemistry or math, like, but you're, let's say you have a C in English, it's not celebrated that you are doing so well in mm -hmm. the sciences. It's like, no, you need to get your English grade up. And the same is true, especially when I'm trying to support an entrepreneur getting out of their business, that they're still trying to do all the things they shouldn't really be doing because there are only a few things that all of us are very good at. And so if you won't let go of this belief that we have to be, you know, a jack of all trades or know all these things and mm. that it's not safe or okay for us to just focus on the things that we're really good at. Mm then it creates this mediocre feeling of unfulfillment and frustration and your team's frustrated and you're frustrated and you just get stuck in the weeds playing chief everything officer instead of actually saying, you know what? I am only going to focus on these things. And that's not to say that sometimes we don't have to, you know, drop in and do things we don't love, especially in the beginning. But once you get to a certain point, if you're not able to break this belief out and say, it's okay for me just to do my 10,000 hours and go really deep and really narrow instead of very wide and very shallow, then it's going to be an uphill battle building your business. Mm, mm, I love that because that makes it kind of practical. So so connecting it back as you started to touch on, back to the, to the belief, the school system, the mm -hmm. thought is that the way in which we are teaching, motivating, incentivizing kids today pushes them towards that generalist view um, versus what what should it look like? Maybe let me ask it that way. What would be the better way? Like, what is the solution in your mind? And, and maybe you don't have the whole solution. It'd be awesome if you did, because then we'll just put it in place. But right. what is like, what is the solution? How do you think about it? Uh, well, not to be dramatic, but I'm like, we should, we should kind of burn the whole thing down because it, it originally it worked really well because society was set up for the assembly line. So that's why schools were created was to actually teach us how to work on an assembly line, memorize this information, complete the test, rinse, wash, repeat, etc. And so now though, that we're in a technological age where we have more advancement in a year than generations before us had in a decade, a hundred years, mm. my, if I could have it all my way, I would really take away the, the like, like the so specific structure of in order to go to this grade, you need to do what, like, mm. I think Montessori does it really well. There's actually a school here in Austin that's, that's changing it, but really giving kids the tools to learn really critical skills and expand what they're already passionate about. Mm. Cause I just, I don't think, and, and it's really interesting because I think trade schools also play into this where trade schools actually are like frowned upon, but in reality, if you look at the, the professions that are recession proof, you're always going to need a plumber. You're mm. always going to need an electrician. You're not always going to need like, a consultant or mm. a 
internet marketers. So it's really interesting how we, we have lost this connection to the backbone of society and, and what actually builds society. And it's a lot of these blue collar jobs and by not giving kids the creativity to be kids and let their brain develop in creative ways. Um, small sidebar, my background's actually in cognitive neuroscience. And I spent a long time in pediatric neurology specifically in my former career. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of let kids brains develop and let them follow. Like if they love trains one week, let them go balls to the walls on trains. If the next week they're all about chemistry, go that direction. Like just because we said they need to know these subjects, I'm not sure it's supportive. Obviously they need to know how to read and write, but everything else, like I still to this day have not used, you know, calculus in my day to day. So. (laughs) So I guess the first question becomes like, so I hear you completely, obviously. Like I think as with anything that was created a long time ago, it should evolve. It should change. It should adapt with the times. And the school system certainly feels like something that, you know, to be fair, I think there's attempts that are made um, that you could see, but there's probably a lot of challenges in it. Like the scale of it is so big to ensure like a certain quality to ensure that there's like equity and fairness that everybody's getting the right education. It almost feels like you have to sacrifice some of the creativity as you're saying, some of the kind of the free flowing structure of it. And you can almost imagine how like over time, even because people have talked about this for a long time, even as people have the right intentions to try and improve this, like they keep layering in more structure because they're, they're trying to, you know, help people. They're trying to do it the right way. So I guess the question I'm asking is like on a very practical level, is is it actually possible? Like, is it theoretically true that we would be much better if we can create these kind of amazing schools that tap into creativity and were more customized and individualized for students, but it's just not feasible for us to do it at scale? Honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. And I think it's it's one of those things that we won't know until we actually try. And then mm-hmm. we have the longitudinal data to back it up. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's funny because sometimes when I, so uh, I'm very famous for saying as your business grows, it should get more simple, not more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty much that way with every institution. Like I left the medical field because you like doctors can't do what's best for patients because insurance companies are dictating patient care instead of doctors. So like when I look at adding more and more structure to an already broken system, like at some point, and and we're already seeing it where college applications are down. I mean, everybody still is probably going to go to college, but it means less now. So I think the pendulum is eventually going to swing back in one way or another, but I don't think we'll actually know the cost or the benefit of these different institutions for a long time. Kind of like the mental health ramifications of shutting down the country for two years. Like, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing that's going to come to pass here in the next five to 10 years where we really see that had nothing to do with the economy, but it had everything to do with the psyche of America. Mm-hmm. Well, let's dig into it a little bit. Cause I think you're right. I think we can't know for sure. And, and, and you can almost take that. So I love philosophy so much. A lot of people think it's kind of like this useless kind of like mental masturbation exercise. To me, it's very pragmatic. It's like trying to think through the implications of like what actually happens. Unfortunately, oftentimes you just don't know until it actually happens. But 
so take what you said before about like if somebody's really into trains or into chemistry or something like that um like the idea of saying like what, what does that mean in real terms in terms of a school is the idea like if, if you take that to, to follow through all the way is it that like we should truly like give kids control over their own education in some ways like i know not completely because they're kids and there has to be some kind of yeah. supervision and structure to it but is the thought like to put it simply we should let kids follow whatever it is they want to learn and and if you net it out they will be better off because of that than if you give them this very structured standard curriculum that they have to follow that they'll be better off in that way and what's the thinking around that i mean i get it on a higher level but at a deeper level why are they better off um i believe that that is the way to go and i i think a really great data point to support this is just this explosion of ADD and ADHD mm. and medicating children. And if you look at the correlation between screen time, recess time getting cut, more structure, more tests, more, sorry to say it, crap, and the rise of ADD and ADHD, personally, I think they're absolutely correlated. Like one of, um, one of my team members, her son is, um, on the spectrum, he's so smart, like absolutely brilliant, but they won't put him into a higher grade because he hasn't passed certain aspects mm. of first grade. So he's, he's getting in trouble for being too smart. Mm. And I think that, that that is just so unacceptable because our, our job as parents and communities should be to grow and cultivate those skills and that expertise. And, you know, if they want to go tinker on code for 12 hours, who knows, they could go solve some sort of something that we've needed for a hundred years. And so I think when we stop thinking about like, you have to fit into this societal mode mold, and we rather think about how can you make the biggest difference, have fulfillment, like really move things forward. And then that's when, that's when this whole system could change. Cause right. it's not, it's not about being homogenous. It's about everyone's here because we have specific gifts and talents. And some of us are better problem solvers or engineers or scientists. Some of us aren't and that's okay. And I think that I'm, probably going to say an unpopular opinion, but I think we've put so many guardrails up that we're actually making ourselves dumber and mm. not letting the natural evolutionary process mm. take place that will actually improve so many different things across the board. Well, you went exactly where I was thinking too, because one of the places people go in this type of conversation is they start to look at metrics and they start to look at, you look at all different metrics, but like countrywide metrics. And, you know, there's the common knowledge now that the U.S. is kind of constantly falling behind on that. And it's interesting because like in some ways you could look at it and say, we're falling behind for the reasons you're saying, right? Like we're, we're there's a problem in the school system. We need to fix it. And in some ways there's another view of it, which is like, the problem is we don't have enough. Like we need to add more tests. We need state testing. We need to track more. We need to look at it more. We we're not being straight um, stringent enough with our students. And like, you know, there's. Uh, I'm not saying this generalizes stereotype in any means, but there's a belief that like Asian countries, as an example, are much more structured in how they teach their kids. Mm -hmm. And as a result, 
they're scoring a lot better on those rankings often, right? So like it starts to get really complicated in how you think about it. And I think what you're saying, which I, I think is a really interesting, you said it might be unpopular. I think it's super interesting is like, we need to rethink what's the objective of education. Like what's the point of what we're trying to do? Are we trying to score the highest on those metrics? Obviously not. Why do those metrics exist? Well, there's a belief. And I think if you start following that thread, there's this view of like efficiency is what it comes to. It goes back to what you said before with the, with the kind of like the factory model. Mm-hmm. But even if you remove like the, the literal factory of it, I think there is a general belief, which maybe is a good one. I don't know. Or an assumption that like for society to function, there has to be a structure. We need people who understand how to participate in society, understand, frankly, how to conform, how to follow directions, how to kind of do what's better for the collective. And if you let that natural evolution process play out, as you said, although there's definitely benefits, which are which are beautiful, it allows people to be themselves and be who they are. Does society suffer as a result of it? Do we become too disparate? Do we become too fragmented? I'd like to think what you're saying is true, that like, no, we actually let people fall into their lanes of where they belong and everybody's better off because of it. But I think we have to explore it. Like, do you consider mm-hmm. the risk side of it that society can't function if we go too much in that direction in what you're saying? Well, I mean, the argument could be made, are we functioning now? Mm, beautiful question. Yeah. <laughs> um. Because to go back to your question about what what is the objective here, if we look at society, I mean, it's it's a it's fascinating. There's this really great illustration that I think perfectly sums this up. It's two people on either side of a number. On one side, the guy's going six. On the other side, he's going nine. I've seen that. And it's they're both right, and it's it's how they're looking at it. And I think right now in the time that we're in. There are people that are very aware that society isn't working. And then there are other people that are very convinced that it is working. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's not my job to tell you you're right or wrong. We all have different perspectives. My question though, you know, when we look at Asian cultures, they are very smart, very structured. And also I have to wonder how fulfilled are they? How happy are they? What's their suicide rate? How how is their mental health? Like mental health is something that I am so passionate about. And I I do think there gets to be guardrails. Like I'm not saying it's like the wild west and we just go do whatever. There gets to be guardrails. Like we still get to pay taxes and, and things like that. But when it comes to education, like I think the guardrails are more about how can we make sure that we have that common objective, but we still get there? Because there's a lot of ways to get to someplace and a lot of different roads we can take. And it's just about finding the one that is going to benefit people the most. And I'm just not convinced that what we're seeing with the great resignation and all of that isn't all related where we've groomed all these people to be pretty mediocre. Like some are good, some are great, some are okay. But like, when you look at it, there's a reason why there's such a small subset of people that are creators and entrepreneurs and business owners. Because I think if you look at it, we had parents that took us a little bit out of the system, whether it's, you know, we went on trips to Europe during the summer or, we skipped school to go to a science fair or my dad, when you're 
basically told our principal, like, she's not taking the standardized test. We have other plans for her at that time. Like, I'm sorry, you're not going to get the funding, mm. but this, we know that this doesn't matter. So figure it out. Mm. Um, and so I think that, that there could be a happy medium, but there's so much money and bureaucracy in the education system that if you just follow the money, that's, that's the, that's the root that we got to dig out. Yeah. Which starts to get into, you know, that's a whole Pandora's box of how you do that, but probably worth diving into. All right. So, so let me ask, like, I think like there's a guiding light for you. You, you may have touched on it before. Uh, you started with entrepreneurship as kind of the the, the belief. There's a, that was part of it. We've talked about creativity as a part of it. So for you, like, is there a belief that um, the best thing we could do for our kids is to allow them to be creative? Like that creativity in some ways is, um, I don't want to say the meaning of life because that puts a whole different stigma on it. But in some ways, like it is a core meaning of life for us to explore, for us to be creative, for us to try and develop something new. Like, is that for you, that's what life is kind of about? Yeah, I think the the worst thing we did for our kids was give them screens and mm. over-program them. Like if you look at kids today, they're as programmed as adults versus when I was growing up, yes, we still had sports and whatnot, but I'm not exaggerating where we would just get kicked out of the house and we have to go make up our own games and get lost in the woods and figure out where we're coming back. I mean, granted, I grew up in a small town. Maybe not everybody's like that. But when we as adults put our views on what somebody should be doing or the skill they should pursue or whatnot, instead of letting them kind of self-select, then I believe we're doing them a detriment and actually limiting the impact that they could have because we're not supporting that that like inner seed of inspiration that could really turn into something that could be you know world changing yeah i mean it gets very much we said before what's the objective like uh, i think about this a lot i have family members like there's a lot of people i think with very good intentions who think the objective of a parent or of a school or what we need to do with children is to we talked about efficiency but there's also a safety play of that like mm -hmm. we've learned more we're smarter now so we put these things in place because we're trying to keep them safer we're trying to you put them through school you send them to college you do all these things because that's an approach to life that gives them stability security safety and i think what you're saying is like sure there's probably some truth to that but if we're going to judge it and assess it, we need to look at it holistically. We need to look at the whole thing, which is why you're bringing in ADHD and all the other um, diagnoses that are coming along with it. Suicide rates, depression, mental health issues to say, like, we have to look at this thing that if we're only looking at one metric and it seems to be helping in that regard. What about all the other ones? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, where we've missed a lot of it as a society is we've stopped looking at the whole picture why do you think that is though? Like you've mentioned money before, possibly it's greed, possibly it's just human nature, possibly, I don't know. Like, what do you think allowed, which seems like such a logical and rational perspective that you're putting forth, which is like, if we care about our kids, we need to look at our kids holistically and look at how well they're actually doing. How did we lose that? Like, how did we miss that? Hmm. Well, my theory is for as much as social media provides, it's actually completely disconnected us. It's um, created an echo chamber where we're not able to have conversations and discords and disagree 
And when you only see this like sliver of your reality versus everything else, then you get so entrenched with this is, this is what the truth is. And there's actually, um, a great book by Brene Brown. I think it's called Mm -hmm. loving what is where Mm -hmm. she asks the question, is this true? Do you know it's true? Are you absolutely positive? It's true. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, to go back to schools, we really don't teach them critical thinking. It's just, here's the thing that you're going to learn. Here's the test. Do you pass? Do you fail? Instead of like really helping them understand how to critically think, how to question things. I mean, yes, I'm a, you know, for lack of a better word, a business strategist, um, but it operations, like that's why they call me the biz doctor. Cause I come in and I actually diagnose what the root cause is. Cause so many times you can start solving surface level yeah. things yeah. And you actually miss the thing that's going to keep creating this friction or this disconnect or whatever. And so, you know, I'm naturally skeptical and naturally curious, but that also was instilled by my parents. Like I didn't just get the answer. If I asked a question, my dad would be like, well, what do you think is happening here? Why, why do you think this is going on? And I'd have to actually think about it, which was infuriating when I was little, but it's, it's allowed me to have a very successful career supporting businesses in ways that most other consultants don't because I look at the whole picture, the holistic part of the body of the business to actually move things forward. And I think if we look at our school systems and society and all the things, we've just created all these silos where unless you're looking, I mean, it's all there. And unless you're looking, you can't connect the dots. And so I think it's, I think it's a little bit, I mean, this is maybe a little conspiracy theorist, but I think it's, it's very easy to control a society that's divided. So if you're intentionally not connecting dots, it makes it easier. You say conspiracy and I get why you say that, but there has to be a, like, what I was going to ask was, so there's a devaluing of critical thinking. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, could, whether it be at the school level, at the parent level, because somebody could hear this conversation and be like, you know what? I think that it's not, the schools can't do it, right? For var- the lack of resources, lack of funding, mm-hmm. lack of time, trying to account for all these different kids. They just can't teach critical thinking in the way that all of us would like them to teach it. So just like happened in your childhood, the onus is on the parents. They should mm-hmm. be teaching critical thinking. So then yeah. you ask the question, like, well, why isn't that happening more? And at, I think at the base of it, you start to get to this view of like, it's just not valued enough. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, people don't value it. And that leads to the next question of like, why though? Why wouldn't we value critical thinking? One view is like, maybe we've been pushed not to value it. And that's a very reasonable view, right? Like power dynamics are very real. You can mm-hmm. read throughout the history of the world to the extent we know it in the written history, people have taken advantage of each other. It's easier to take advantage of people if people don't think or they're ignorant. So that's yep. certainly a plausible view of it. There's another view which you could argue is that like it's it's almost evolutionary. Like it's it's it, if this is what happened, this is what was meant to. Happen. It's the natural progression. Critical thinking isn't as important to us because it just shouldn't be. It's not the human nature of us to do that. Maybe it's all a spectrum, right? So some people value mm-hmm. it more, some people value it less, but on average, it's just not that important to us as humans. Is that a realistic like is that a feasible thing we should consider? I mean, potentially for sure. You said something really interesting a few minutes ago about security and how you go to high school, then you go to college, then you get a a good job. 
And I actually feel like that's lulled everybody into a false sense of security mm. because they don't know how to operate when things get out of this norm. Like if they get laid off, they're like, oh God, what do I do? I don't have my, you know, free lunches at Google and mm. the bus and like all the things. Or, you know, <laughs> this is a very funny example, but so I'm from Colorado, but I live in Austin, Texas, and it was 20, I think it was 2020, 2021, where we had snowmageddon. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Colorado and I'm like, it'll be fine. I forget that we live in Texas and don't have snow plows and all the things. Anyway, <laughs> spoiler alert, it was not fine. <laughs> like people have PTSD from losing power and and all the things. And it was a really interesting data point because I was like, okay, so we don't have power. So I'll read a book and, you know, I'll go to a friend's house that does have power and I'll walk. And it was crazy to see how ill-equipped so many people were for just basic things to survive. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at this and I, to go back to, you know, what kind of precipitated this, I really think that the advance of technology, while so beneficial has really helped or not helped really made us complacent and made us feel like we don't have to have all of these things because the robots will figure it out. Like, I don't need to know all these things. I'm just going to go ask chat GPT. Well, I can tell you, I asked chat GPT something the other day and it was absolutely wrong and (laughs) it was not working and I still needed a human person to do it. So I think, I think it's a double-edged sword of for every technological advance we have, how much of our humanness that actually connects us, helps us move forward, innovates, et cetera, are we losing? All right, let me let me see if I could piece together what may sound like a philosophical jumble, but I think I can make it coherent enough to ask you a question around it. Like, what about the view, and I ask this as much of me as I do to you, where it's like um, our humanness is is like a relative term. Right. Like we 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 all, because we're the stars of our own movies, like to think that what we understand as humanness or whatever, pick whatever concept you want to pick, that's what it is, right? But it's really relative. It's it's it moves, it evolves. So there was a time in which being human was like a caveman, whatever was valued then. And mm-hmm. as we continue to progress, we've now hit a time where being human is relying on technology, is the ability to be complacent because we don't have to worry. We don't have to think as critically anymore. Things can do it for us. And perhaps being human now is just tapping into what makes you feel comfortable or good or whatever it is. I would imagine for somebody like you or me, that almost sounds quite literally like blasphemous. Like that cannot be what being human is. Right. But what if that's just our own whatever, ego, perception? And like we are the dinosaurs. We are antiquated, right? The world is moving beyond us. And we are trying to kind of yell at the ocean for making waves when like, that's just what it is. Like, is there a view of that where maybe we are looking at it wrong? We have the wrong perspective. I mean, absolutely. I, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that anything I've shared is the right way or most supportive or whatnot, because we all have different lenses that we look through, whether they're beliefs, stories, traumas, Mm -hmm. whatever. So even if, like my twin sister and we grew up perfectly the same, we would still have different lenses that we see. And so could I be, you know, Mr. Wilson standing on my lawn saying, get off my lawn and (laughs) antiquated? Sure. I think though, as 
Uh, I used to say I was a geriatric millennial, but apparently we're just elder millennials, which sounds more <laughs> wise. Um, I think there's something really special about our generation where we grew up analog. We had, you know, drank out of the hose, ran around, did all the things we probably should have died from, but we didn't. <laughs> and, and then we also came of age with the digital age. Mm. And I think that if we lose sight of our history and how to do, how to do basic things. Like I was talking to a friend the other day about just, I don't know, a hundred years ago, we recognized that there were a lot of ways to heal yourself through food and herbs and like all the, all the different things versus now, which is like, I'm going to take an aspirin. And again, that goes back to what I do is like, well, what's the root of your headache? Why are you having headaches? Are you dehydrated? Is it a vitamin? Like all the things. And so if we lose sight of those histories of those ways of, of approaching things that are different, then I fear that we're just, we're going to become so homogenous and, and like little, like, have you seen the movie minority report? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, is that where we're destined? Where literally the robots are telling us what we're thinking before we're thinking? Because that doesn't sit well with me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, I look at this and I, do, I don't know which way is the right way, but I look at our kids and I look at our future generations and, you know, them not being able to like drive a stick shift or something. If there was a zombie apocalypse, you know who would survive? People who could drive stick shifts. So I don't what know. Do you, what do you say though? And again, you get the idea of the show now. I'm asking these questions because yeah. this is how we have to explore and think about it. Like, so I'm not sure exactly when you grew up. I grew up in the 80s. Sounds like you were somewhat roughly the same, right? So like inevitably there was somebody that was 70, 80 when we were growing up that looked at like, look at these kids. They don't even know how to whatever, yeah. right? Pick the yeah. thing, butcher a pig to, to, to whatever, or yeah. fix a carburetor in a car or like yeah. this, this progression of us, like it's, that's that relative piece. Like it always, we were always on this path mm -hmm. <clears throat> at any point in time, somebody could have looked and been like, but you're not doing it the way we did. And I guess what you're saying in some ways, oh, let me, let me not proclaim it. Let me ask it. In some ways, what you're saying is like, we were better off in our base form before we like, to, to, the best state of humanity is the state of hu humanity that was like the original human. Like, is that like, if you play, if you, if you play it all the way extreme, is that what we're saying? Or is it that there's a happy medium? Like, what is the guiding light that lets us know, like, that's good. That's bad. Mm -mm. I mean, that's probably a whole different podcast about yeah you're probably right <laughs> what is good and what is bad because you know that that again is all relative i, I mean i really well, even don't in the terms of how you're saying it though lauren of like um yeah. that not becoming the minority report like how mm -hmm. do we determine what like you would say drinking out of a hose that's good right just to use it i know it's a silly example but somebody could look at that and be like you should have been drinking out of a well or better yet you should have been drinking out of a river if you really want to take it to the extreme <laughs> right. so like how do we know where to put the stake to be like obviously it's easy for us to put the stake in when we were kids because that feels <laughs> like the right thing you know yeah i mean when you go all the way back obviously nobody wants to die of dysentery or cholera and and there have been amazing advances so i i wouldn't go all the way back to the beginning of time i think that the common thread here is that I'm not sure we, 
I mean, we're not going back for sure. So, mm-hmm. and, and if you, if you don't want to get on board, you're going to get left behind, but there's a certain, I would say fundamental foundation as human beings that we get to have outside of schools around health, critical thinking, problem solving, things like that, because like, let's be honest, if the grid went down tomorrow, which I doubt it would, I don't think 90% of the population would know what to do. That might be generous. Yeah, that that might be generous. But, and so when I look at, if we turn off the technology and we're living our lives, what is the lowest common denominator to have you know, the best chance of success and survival and connection and fulfillment, because I feel like that should be the standard. And then Mm -hmm. you add technology to it. It shouldn't be that we're so reliant on technology that we forget about those things. Mm. So I don't know if that answered your question. It does. I mean, I get it. It's, It's a tough, it's an impossible question to answer. So in some ways it was an unfair question to ask, although I think we need to ask it, but I think your point about like our relationship to technology in some ways, I think is what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. If technology is no longer serving us, but we're serving it to put it kind of simply, that yeah. seems like there's something wrong with it. And I wonder like, maybe to make this real as we, we're not at the end, but kind of heading towards it. Like, I think this will work, but let's explore it. So I mentioned, I have a, I have a nine-year-old son and I find myself facing this every day, right? Everything we're talking about, all these things, perhaps nowhere more prevalent than when it comes to like having a phone. Um, so he's mm-hmm. in fourth grade. And there is a constant debate in my head with my wife, with my son, to an extent of like, when should he have a phone? And on the one hand, you look at it and you say very much as we've been talking in this conversation, like he absolutely doesn't need a phone in fourth grade. He doesn't need to have access to social media. He doesn't need to access to YouTube and all the things that screens bring. It is much better for him to come home from school, not have a phone to go to, be at a restaurant, not have a phone to look at and actually have to engage with the world much, much Mm -hmm. better. Yeah. But then there's this other side of it. It's like, well, what if most of the kids in his class, in his school of his age group do have phones and are interacting in this way? Like, am I doing him more harm than good? Even though I feel like there's a ton of benefits to him not having it. Now he's disconnected from his peers. And it's kind of like this damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Which like, so maybe we use that as just an example to look at it. Like, what's your thought on that type of situation? Is there a right way to handle that in the context of what we're saying? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because when we were growing up, we had a house phone and you had like, I had a cell phone when I learned to drive in case there was an emergency. And I think text messages cost like 50 cents. I don't know. It was outrageous. Anyway. So on one hand, I'm like, they don't need a phone. But on the other hand, like, what if you lose them? What if they get stuck somewhere? Again, maybe they're communicating with their peers on Snapchat. I, I don't know if there's a good answer, maybe they can just have a flip phone. Do flip phones even exist anymore? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe, maybe it's a, it. kid, a kid flip phone where you can do two things. You can text your parents or you can call your parents. I I, I don't know. And I think this is, this is part of the quandary of, you know, we don't want our kids to be outsiders. We want them to be included, but we also don't want to limit them and have, you know, the hindsight that we should have let them be more creative and free and and all the things and so I mean we're going to screw up our kids one way or another so mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I just our brains aren't even done forming until we're like well in our teen, like sometimes into our 20s mm-hmm. and I just I look at 
at screens and I see babies trying to like, like scroll on a phone. And I'm like, what are we doing? This is, they're supposed to be looking at like flowers and bees and colors and putting things together. So if it were me, I don't know, see if you can limit it as much as possible or find a way to have a happy medium where, you know, they get screen time for a certain amount of time. I I don't know. I think it's very dependent on the school, the community, the family. Um, yeah, it's, it's the right it's, answer. It's the right answer. I think, right. It's, I don't know. We try and do, and in some ways it allows us to empathize. It's not a direct connection or correlation, but with the schools and what they're mm-hmm. trying, like they're, I think they're grappling with similar type situations where like all else equal, it seems obvious that I would much rather allow these kids to be creative and think critically. Right. I'd love that. But then there's this other part of it. It's like, but is that causing harm? And it's like this kind of catch 22. You Like you said it before, I find this all the time. I'd love, one of my dreams would be to take a year and pull him out of school and just travel the world. And I think it would be amazingly beneficial for him. I think the experiences, as you alluded to before, that you had as a kid of just the creativity it would, it would inspire, yeah. the, the ability to to be you know, who he is, all those things. But then there's just like with the phone, there's the other side of it of like, but is that insane? Like, am I hurting him in some way? Can I do that? Like, And I think these dilemmas of like what actually is the right thing to do. We said it, it's a whole different podcast. In some ways it was the last season I did of like what's right and wrong. Um, It's why I'm so fascinated by it because all these decisions, which are extremely pragmatic, even the work you do with businesses, if you follow them enough, they get to this root of like, well, what's the meaning of life? (laughs) Why are we here? How do you, and without those answers, it's very hard to make these decisions. So it just, I don't even have a question at that. It just illustrates the complexity of everything we're talking about, you know? Yeah. Um, and it just, it kind of, you know, to bring it full circle of how this has created, you know, quote unquote, good employees that, you know, are, are just worker bees versus players. That's something I talk about a lot, the difference between, you know, a a task oriented person versus a project oriented person. Like there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. Um, but the neuroscience in me, neuroscientist in me says, absolutely take your kid out for a year. Like there's no, there's no detriment right now. Cause he's, he's in fourth grade, right? Yeah. He's nine. Yeah. They're learning like very basic stuff right now. So, I mean, in these developmental ages, he's old enough to remember really great things and have those core memories. And he's also young enough that you don't have the societal whiplash of like, I miss my friends or like, I can't go to prom or like those big like time frames that you want them to have. Um, cause it's just like, you know, fourth grade. Mm. He graduates fifth grade. They do graduations in fifth grade now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like a good he's in elementary school still. So he doesn't have like all the stuff that happens in middle school slash high school. Mm-hmm. So I say mm-hmm. if you can do it, do it. Yeah, that's kind of where I lean too. And it's, I mean, typically the conversations that I have on this show, typically I'm generalizing, but go kind of two ways. One is, um, which I would say this conversation is, which I I, I would argue is probably the, the, the better way, which is somebody could have a strongly held belief, but there's such like a humility and an openness of like, I believe this to be true. Let me show you why I believe this to be true. But I'm also very open to the idea that this is complex and nuanced. And there may be other perspectives versus the other mm-hmm. way is often where we see sometimes in society where people are just dug in. And this is the way there's no doubt about it. I'm not looking at anything yeah. else. So I'll say like, I very much appreciate 
uh, the way you're, I think all have their value in those conversations, but I, I, I very much appreciate the way that you're approaching this and the way you're thinking about it. Maybe last question I'll ask Lauren is like, all right, so, so full back full circle to where you started with that strongly held belief. What, what is it in your life? What is How does that manifest out? Like, are there things, I know the work you're doing is kind of maybe more on the back end of it, of trying to help people that have already been through this system, but what are you doing? What should we be doing? Like, what do we do if this is a problem? If there is something we fix very practically for you, like how does it, how does it impact your life? How do you actually try and live up to this belief that you have? Yeah. So I think a lot of it comes down to getting involved because there's this really, there's this really wonderful analogy of in an emergency, you don't say somebody call 911. You look at somebody, you point and you say, you call 911. Because in an emergency, and I would consider this an emergency of our children and our education system, there's the propensity to think that someone else is going to do it. Like, I don't need to call 911. Clearly, everybody has a cell phone. Just like, I don't need to get involved. I'm sure there are other, you know, members of the community, parents, grandparents, et cetera, that are going to get involved. And I think that's where we sell ourselves short because there's far less people involved in reality than we think there are. So if this is something that's passionate to you, that you're concerned about your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, get involved. You know, there's a great school that's, um, that's getting built here in Austin. And so, you know, whether you have kids or not, go learn more about it. Talk to your local representatives, talk to your school boards, your district, um, representatives, congressmen, et cetera. And, and just, get your, get involved, get your voice out there. And, you know, I don't know, break, break the system in some way, it's whether it's with yeah. your, yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So that's, that's what I would say is just take the time to, uh, no pun intended, get educated <laughs> about what's happening, get involved, let your voice be heard. If you don't have a school like we do here in Austin, um, maybe look at starting your own. I mean, it only takes a, a, a tiny, tiny percentage. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's something like 12% to like tip the scale. Mm -hmm. So it's, if we don't need a lot of people to start making enough noise that people start listening. Mm -hmm. Or listen, I, 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 for those listening uh, and from the intro, like obviously the work you do is very much around business consulting, as we've spoken about. I know we haven't talked about that a ton on this show, but I'd like to think there's still a ton of value, obviously, in this conversation because the topic is important. But I'd like to think also, even for people that like need help with their business, to get to hear how you think, how you work through problems, the approach you take, like in a longer form in depth. I know for me personally, that would give me a lot more comfort and understanding of like, wow, now I know what I'm getting into. Not that you necessarily needed this show to do that for you, but you know what I mean. So I say yeah. like, I thank you a ton for being on and talking through it. And I hope people, wherever they sit in life, whether they're parents, whether they're in the education system, whether they're business owners who are thinking about it, get value out of thinking this way. And I really, really appreciate you kind of leaning into the format of the show, which is let's explore this. Let's question. Let's challenge ourselves, because I think that's one of the other things we have to do if we're going to try and get the better answers. So I thank you a ton. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And, you know, if you liked hearing my thoughts and my voice, and I'm already in your ear. You can hop on over on wherever you're listening to this podcast to the biz doctor with Lauren Goldstein. And I've got lots of episodes on many different things, business, leadership, 
kind of running the gamut. So yeah, and they're cool. I can vouch for it. I listened to a couple, and they're kind of quick hitters. Like yeah, usually like 20, 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of on a specific topic. So I'll put yeah. links to that in the intro into um, show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you, Lauren. So I appreciate it. Have a, hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, So in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, It's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their toe in it a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, Maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one chat over Zoom, Um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, As I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives and I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, Whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly and I hope you have an awesome day.